Yo, before we get into this podcast, I want to ask for a huge favor from you. And that is if you have or you are getting value from this podcast, if you were to leave us a review or subscribe, it would mean the world. And quite frankly, selfishly, it's because I want to, we want to continue sharing these conversations, this medicine with the world. And when you leave a review, when you subscribe, it's a vote. And we would love to have your vote. Nonetheless, thank you so much and enjoy. Zach, my friend, what is your intention today for this conversation? My intention is to both enjoy myself, have fun, and be clear. Yeah, where did that be clear? Where did that be clear come from? <laughs> well, funny you should ask. <laughs> so yesterday I actually had a meeting with some business partners now who asked me to be the co-host on their podcast. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad they made that decision before yesterday's meeting because words were not my friend Uh, (laughs) and i remember at some point of this meeting deciding i'm gonna talk less (laughs) and so really that's where that's stemming from is recognizing that sometimes words aren't working to my advantage Mm -hmm. and that that I've taken for granted uh, as someone who typically does find words more easy uh, to navigate. But it was a humbling experience, which has left me with the sense sense of I'm going to put more intention and more attention towards the things that I say rather than shooting from the hip. Hmm. there's a nice balance between both of those i personally love firing from the hip i think that that's probably because i like to do as little work as possible on a thing at least in the beginning until i refine the process because i jump hardcore into the analysis paralysis section and then my action becomes nothing or little to nothing so normally i find that like firing from the hip is how I get into action. So for me, like producing content, for example, or even this podcast is a great example. I have no script. I'm not sure what's going to come up. I don't know how it's going to look, but I find that that's how I normally get to the, the, the structure in which that I want to create around it. Cause naturally, you know, this is where I think I'm like six episodes ish in now at this point. And I still don't have it all figured out and who knows, maybe it'll take me a hundred to get it all figured out. But being able to have more intention. So like, for example, this backdrop, having more intention, I was doing these, all these podcasts prior to this, they've been sending up at my desk. And I found that like, I was like, kind of like bending over and I'd hunch over and I'd like lose complete and total presence with the person I was listening to. And then I'd be in my head about why am I not present with them? I'm supposed to be present right now. I'm supposed to be focusing on the words that they're saying. And when I shifted that and became a little more intentional, which right before we were doing this, I had to take a couple extra minutes to set up this backdrop and like, put myself in a space to 
be able to be more present. And I think even now, like being more intentional about my presence, uh, it actually cultivated something. So the fact that you're bringing up, it's like somewhere between firing off the hip and like slight bit randomness, but also more intention is for me, it's like somewhere in the middle and mm -hmm. kind of circling back to when you asked me like what my intention is for today, it actually is presence. Because one thing I find, especially in longer conversations or things, it's easy for my, my attention to go, just kind of float off. It's the ADD, XYZ, jump, jump, up, square, down, BBB in me. And uh, finding ways to play with it, figure it out. And it's switching things up. I hear you. And I would argue that maybe one of the reasons, you know, don't, don't point it just to yourself as, oh, I'm ADD. But whenever you're, at least for myself, whenever I'm hosting, yeah, I'm listening to the conversation as I'm having the conversation. Mm -hmm. And what I mean is if I hear the kids playing next door or some something that may be perceived as a distraction, I'm hyper aware to it. Mm -hmm. And even if even if a recording goes perfectly smooth, I think in the background, we're doing that hypervigilant monitoring mm -hmm. and a longer form content. You know, if you have your attention that's constantly open, it eventually becomes more difficult to hold the attention right in front of you. Would you mm -hmm. agree with that? <clears throat> I say yes. I mean, take anything for any extended period of time it can be distraction. So like our brain naturally is wired towards novelty. We see something new. It's like, Ooh, my attention goes there. If I see something enough times, like for example, if I, I live in a, Oh, you know what? When I was in high school, I was in wood shop. And the first time I went into wood shop, obviously there's like all the saws and everything going on. You expect that. But there was this, uh, there were these, what do you call them? They were like air compressor things. You psh, and you clean things off or whatever. Like you would do that. But whenever you would disconnect it from the valve, you disconnect the hose from the valve, it would make this psh noise. It would just blow up. And it was absolutely terrifying the first time that you heard it. Like it would like make your heart jump right out of your chest, like drop right into your ass. Like you had no idea it was coming. And you know, that persisted a couple more times and eventually it became to the point where you would desensitize to it and you wouldn't think about it. It was no longer novel. It was just kind of in the background, but new people would still have that experience. So <clears throat> I think there's something to be said about, yes, that it's natural that you kind of trail off. And something that I was actually taught for one of my coaches is that it's really important, not as just like a regular practice, but in life to acknowledge our distractions. So if, for example, someone comes knocking on my door as opposed to trying to act like it didn't happen, it's just like, oh, look at that, somebody knocked on my door. And you kind of, you, you, you go where the listening is. If the listening is over there, then you just go to it, you acknowledge it. And it's like you, it's like a, it's like a kid. It's like a kid who runs off in a different direction. You're like, okay, let me just go and grab you really quick and then come back. And the attention and this, or the kid in this specific analogy is my attention. So, <clears throat> I think it's important to acknowledge it. And then naturally in acknowledging it, it allows ourselves to kind of come back to whatever it is that we're focusing on versus trying to resist the fact that we're not focusing, which just leads to more of it. Mm -hmm. This is already, okay. So we started talking about shooting from the hip and then giving more intention 
and uh, now acknowledging and not acknowledging. And the, the thing that I try to resist anytime that I feel like, oh, I know the way, like I know what works, uh, recognizing that there's a dichotomy of all things. Mm-hmm. And both things are often right. Um, you know, because as you were talking that, talking about that, I um, immediately recalled back to a recent podcast by Tom Bilyeu. And he was talking about how whenever in the early days he was doing live broadcasts and if you were to see what was going on behind the scenes, like it was a mad show, like nobody knew what they were doing. And one of the things that he, he was able to do was just disconnect, you know, and, and the line he told himself, which I actually told myself before this is, this is practice, you know, like mm. in everything that you do is like, okay, this isn't the final cut. This is practice, you know, but that's a different story. So anyway, both those situations, lending your attention to something so then you can work through it or altogether, you know, tuning it out could be the right answer in some situations. And I apologize, but I go on. <laughs> this, this brings me back to just this morning while I was reading this book right here. Better Than Before by Gretchen Rubin. Unfamiliar. Talk to me about it. So it's a book about habits. And one of the things that I like about it is frequently, whenever we read any type of book, there's a main point that they're driving. Hey, this is the thing that you should do. Yeah. You know, this is the knowledge that you should take from this. Well, this book isn't that way. This book tells you, hey, habit formation and reformation is going to differ based on, you know, your tendencies. And we all have different distinctions and different tendencies. And so well-meaning advice that someone gives you that may have very much helped them may be the absolute worst thing that you could do in that situation. Mm. And for me, what that looks like is moderation versus abstaining or paying, giving attention to something or not. Uh, for me, I have plenty of friends that can have a small glass of wine or eat a square of chocolate or, you know, indulge minorly in something. But for me, if I indulge at all, it's all the way. And this is just a long way of me saying it's funny because any situation that we talk about we could, we could talk about either end of the spectrum and in some way draw out a point that proves validity. Mm-hmm. And in reality, all things to a degree are, are a valid response. It's just finding the, the context, the place, the, the time for it, and learning to balance those. Mm. <clears throat> You said a lot. I actually liked it. You, you touched on a couple of things, but right there, the thing that popped in my head was I was actually listening to like the beginning of a sponsored ad on Instagram that was talking about, I don't know if you've seen these ads on, they're talking about like master classes and they have all these like masters of their crafts who are like doing these instructional, uh, like deep dive instructionals into the work that they do. And it was uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson in this one. And in, in the beginning of it, he's, his point was that 
uh, how we become super knowledgeable inside of a conversation to the point where we can like prove we're right almost. And that's kind of like the hook. And then he goes into, there's three types of truths. He said, there's political truths, personal truths, and objective truths. And I think with what you're pointing at is that a lot of times when people give advice, they're not nearly as much objective truths as they are personal truths. So for example, for me, I know that with certainty that mornings and nights are the times when I'm most creative, I'm most productive, I'm most centered, most focused. And during the middle of the days is where I'm most likely to get distracted and pulled in different directions naturally between my phone and social media and the work that I'm doing and all the obligations that I have. But for some people, like that's just their most productive time of the day is in the middle of the day. And for me to tell you that you should do the majority of your creative work in the beginning of the day isn't necessarily inherent truth. It's not an objective truth. It's a personal truth. And I think that this all boils down to one thing, which is a running rampant theme and this entire podcast is the importance for self-awareness. Being able to listen to something, take a step back and in psychology, we talk about assimilating and accommodating information. When some kind of new information comes in, I either have to assimilate it, take it in and bring it like, Oh, okay. Like this is good. And it's just something that, especially if it's something new, if it's a novel concept and you have no framework for it and no context, and it's like, okay, I'm going to bring this in and put it in my brain. I'm going to store it versus accommodation as I understand it is it's like if in my left hand, these are the things that I think that I know, which I'm always mindful to say to think, what do I really know? The thing that I, that I think that I know, but then you decide to come to me and share something. I'm basically looking at that piece of paper, comparing it to my piece of paper and saying, Hmm, if I'm doing it properly, I like this. I, these two things work for me, but this one doesn't. I'm going to toss that out. I'm going to take these two and I'm going to put it in my working model, what I have. So I can essentially go forth. So I think that that's brilliant what you're pointing out with being able to do that because I know myself personally, I, if I'm, if I'm not in a centered place and trusting my own intuition and my heart about things, I'll take everyone's advice as truth above what I am being intuitively guided towards. And then what ends up happening is, is now what was one plate of food ends up, I'm eating six or seven plates of food. And to my un, without my, even my awareness, I'm eating a bunch of crap. I don't like, like, I don't like peas, but I'm eating peas. And it also doesn't make sense for what I'm trying to make right now. Like I want breakfast, but you're giving me dinner. That's not what I want right now. Like this is what I'm working on. So that's really important. Fundamentally being able to have that self-awareness. Definitely. What is your, what would you say your chief aim is of self-awareness? You know, what, what's the qualifying factor that you're looking for whenever you choose which, you know, rules to adopt? What is my, just rephrasing what you said a little bit, what, what, how do I determine if the information that's being presented to me is something that I do or do not want to add to my working model? Yeah. That I think is a situation by situation type answer. There's a, honestly, discernment is one of those things like being able to distinguish like this is for me or this isn't for me. I think that that's one of those things that naturally comes with age and experience because in the beginning it seems like everything's a good idea but then when you start to get more clear about what you want you start to see that oh wait 
that isn't nearly as for me as I thought that it was, but because it came from somebody that I, I respect and admire, I was willing to give it a shot. So I think it, it just depends. It, it, I think that the easiest way to distinguish if it is or isn't for me depends on the clarity of my vision. If I'm very clear on the fact that I want to be working out, say, five days a week, and I want to be, um, <clears throat> and I, I have X amount of hours in the day, and I'm working throughout most of the day, but I have this time block when I want to work out, and somebody comes to me and says, and I prefer to work out in the evening, but someone comes to me and says, oh, you should really work out in the morning. There's scientific research that says that it does X, Y, and Z. But I look back at that information and I say, mm, I, I know that I'm most motivated to do it in the evening and it allows me to de-stress after my long day. I've had all this like, you know, weight of whatever it is that I was kind of working, working on throughout the day. Me working at the end of the day is the best for me. So it's, it's a certain level of discernment, but it, I think it takes practice. What a, but you've had your own experience of this. How does that like shape out for you? Well, for me, I, I think a clear sense of values is, is definitely, you know, if I'm, if I'm more focused on my health, right. And I get information, actually, I'll preface this by saying I'm horrible at hypotheticals. So, um, and give it to but, me real. But if I get information that. You know, honestly, I'm drawing a blank on a hypothetical, so let's not go that direction. But I would say that the more that I have a clear sense of one, where I'm going, and two, that who this character I choose to show up to the world as, mm -hmm. as long as that information is empowering one of those two narratives, um, that's an and is not going to harm myself or others to, you know, there isn't a high risk of that because sometimes it's good to be blindly optimistic to, to information has some validity, but what good will it do for me? Mm -hmm. And so now we can start getting more into the tangible, which is more my, my uh, playground, but information about, you know, that's, that's being spouted on the news right now that a lot of the information may be, uh, founded in some bit of truth, but the motive is really money. And, you know, so how do we do that? Well, money we, ratings. Yeah. Yeah. We activate, you know, the pain response and, and then we've got somebody that's ready, read, readily sucking from the teeth. And so even though some of that information may be true, um, I'm going to choose to kind of step back and maybe not try to associate as much of it because of some, because of some of the baggage that will come along with it, you know? Um, and whenever I say baggage, I mean the emotional state that I may be put in by some sobering truth that then will maybe if, maybe if I don't pay attention to it, as long as I'm not something doing something willfully ignorant, mm -hmm. I'm not going to, anybody by not accepting that knowledge but I'm also not going to diminish my own energy and my own focus that I'm putting forward towards the things that are really important to me yeah I think buttoning that up a uh, quote that popped in my head which 
who knows if this is the verbatim of what it looks like, but it was the Alice in Wonderland quote when she goes to, I believe it was the rabbit. And she says to the rabbit, like, which direction should I go? And the rabbit, if insert, if it's not a rabbit, someone's going to be like, it's not a rabbit, but insert whatever animal it was. I think it was a rabbit. Uh, she goes to the rabbit. She says, like, which direction should I go? And the rabbit's like, well, I mean, what, uh, where do you like, where do you want to go? Like, what do you, what do you want? And she's like, well, I don't really care too much. She's like, well, then it doesn't matter which direction you go. So I, oh, you know, this just came full circle for me. People have, I believe that for the most part, people have good intentions when they, when they want to give you advice. Like if I come to you and I say, like, for example, I swear by cold showers. I swear by them. They've done so much wonder for my life. And I'll get to like, almost like objective truth belief that everybody should do cold showers. I don't know the truth about it objectively, to be honest, but I have such like a personal belief about cold showers that I want to share with everybody. Right. For me, what I in this moment clicked was that in order to have that sink in, honestly, my train of thought completely left me. I'm not even going to try and play it off. It completely left me. I don't know where I was going with it. It'll come back or it won't. But the point is, it's, it, takes a, it takes a strong level of discernment for me in order to be able to distinguish what it is that is important for me in that life and in this life. And the more that I can have that clear sense of this is where I'm going, then when somebody comes to me and says, hey, you should check this out, then I know that I've made a decision based off of where I'm going, whether it works out or not, because people have good intentions. They want to share something with you. This is what I was trying to bring up. See full circle. <laughs> they have good intentions and they want to give you something, but if they don't understand what your vision is, like very clearly what your vision is from an objective perspective, from an objective perspective, like, Oh, you really want to go there. Okay. Well then what I have to add probably isn't going to serve that. Most people don't have that level of mindfulness, especially like, for example, in like say the coaching industry and things like that. Most of the time people's agenda first hand is I need to make money. Now I have nothing wrong with, you know, going and making money off the service you provide or the information that you provide. But I think that it takes a really high level of integrity in a person to be able to say, let me look at your vision. Okay. I see that. What do I have to offer? That actually isn't an alignment. And as much as I'd love to take you on and like work with you, there's somebody else that's going to be better for you. And either I can point you to that person if I know that person, or I just need to be willing to step back because I think what happens is, is you set aside your service mindset for, I need to make sure I make this money. I'm, I'm kind of getting off on a riff here, but the point is it takes a certain level of person of integrity to be able to look at what you're up to and to objectively say, yes, this would serve your no, this might cause more confusion, which that, that takes a high level, again, of self-awareness to be able to know whether what you're saying is actually providing value to them. And I think what it always comes down to is we need to be focusing more and just in general in life on permission. Do I have permission to give you my thoughts? And if, if it doesn't resonate, don't use it. If it does resonate, let's talk about it. Mm. Did you read quiet leadership i let me guess i think i know who recommended that book to you yeah 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 uh no i have it <laughs> i have it <laughs> sitting there and i haven't actually read it yet is it good 
Yeah, yeah, and and that's one of the first steps that they talk about with actually coaching somebody is asking for permission and mm. you can do this in every single interaction we have and it's going to make a difference in the openness that the person you're talking with has because especially i mean if you boil or if you take it to a difficult conversation let's say talking with an employee who has made some type of mistake recurrently sure both that employee knows this conversation is coming and so there's this tension right yeah and if you come up and just start talking about it you know the the likely response is going to be defensive whereas you come up and say hey would you mind if do you have like 10 minutes so we can talk about that thing if not when's a good time and just mm that option it it comes down to i i kind of like bring it back to the the sales approach where they talk about like that's exactly what i heard in my head yeah yeah try to get as many yeses like get a open state rather than a no no because every time we're saying no we're energetically like you know closing a little bit more mm. and even miss it so i mean just listeners at home just start going, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and it will, it, it will have an elating effect. Um, so whenever we can, one, just, and, and here's the other part of it, though. With permission, you have to be willing, if they say no, to say, okay, when's a good time? Or we can talk about this later. Yeah. So it's not, it's not some tactic to, Hey, I'm going to get this person to open up so we can talk right now. No, you have to be willing to actually honor your, your question and, and speak to them on their terms. And if mm. you do that, everybody a service because it comes back even to what we were talking about with cold showers and your you cell in your body that tells you this is not good for me. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure you've had conversations with others enthusiastically telling them the benefits of cold showers and been met with resistance. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Most people actually, like, hell no. I like my steaming, piping, earth, not earth, skin boiling hot water. That's your typical response, yes. Now, do any of those even meet you with a perturbed, like, no, that that's not good? Like, does anybody actually get upset with no. you? For, okay. All right. So, w whenever I brought up moderator versus abstainer, a lot of my closest friends are moderators. Yeah. Um, and here are some type of responses that an ex of mine, whenever I told her, no, I'm good on the wine, you know, it's, it's just, I'm better not drinking any at all. Yeah. She said something along the line, like, well, you're going to like hold this pleasure back from yourself, you know, rather than just learning to, um, to take it in small doses. 
And that that's not so much of a angry response. But then I have another friend who, with her chocolate, uh, was it? Yeah, I think the anytime I've brought up dietary changes like intermittent fasting or no, I'm just going to completely abstain. She she gets defensive to a degree where it actually like she feels about moderation like you do about cold showers. Yeah, and I, I feel that same type of passion. And if I don't if I don't keep it in check, I will become more defensive whenever someone says, oh, not eating, you know, most of the day is bad for you. I can find myself getting emotionally defensive. Like, no, yes, it is. Like, yeah, information says otherwise. And regardless of what it is, um, we oftentimes will kind of cling on to something that's important to us to a degree that may harm us, you know. Mm. I think I think that I think it's important though to acknowledge though, like we were pointing out earlier about the distinction between personal truth versus objective truth, because there are some people who are like, yes, intermittent fasting, and I had thought about doing it. And then I spoke to my cranial sacral therapist, and she was just like, no, like you shouldn't intermittent fast just because of like what you're focusing on, and because she oh, she's in my world and she actually knows what I'm committed to taking on. What she was, where she was coming from was from an actual, like, I, I'm, I'm looking at it from your side. Here's what it is. It's like this. You, can you see the side of the hand that I'm looking at? Mm -mm. No. You can see your side. And the thing is, is it's hard for us when we get caught up in our personal truths so deeply that we don't see them as personal truths, but rather objective truths. We get attached. And when we have attachment, that's normally where if somebody comes and says something con contradictory, it's like, how dare you? And especially if you say it without permission, because in essence, it's like having a closed hand. You're like, I want to give you something. And you're trying to force something in their hand. Like, I, I'm not asking for this. Why are you trying to force this into my hand? It's like kids, it, not even just kids, every person. No one really likes being told what to do. I'm saying that as an objective truth. It's probably not true. Maybe somebody does like being told what to do. But like across the board, I've never met somebody who loves in every, all aspects of their life being told what to do. Because to some, you know what it is? It, I think it's revoking a freedom. And people love their freedom, I would imagine. I know I do. I love my freedom. So when our freedom gets revoked, it's almost like when someone's like, you need to do this. It's like, who the hell are you to tell me what I need to do? This is my life. This is my freedom. So being able to meet somebody where they're at and not trying to spoon feed them all the time, but be like, hey, I made this really good queso. It's a little spicy. Uh, and here are the ingredients. Does this work for you? It's like, oh no, actually I'm, I'm, I'm vegan. Like that's just, you know, like I just prefer to be vegan. Uh, is that vegan? Like, oh, it's not vegan. I'm sorry. It's like, oh, okay, no, it's fine. And maybe I decide next time I'm going to make vegan queso, but it's giving people the option to be met where they're at versus trying to drag them to where you're at. You just might be surprised that you could take the same communication. Hey, Zach, I want you to try out cold showers. Like you should do cold showers. You might be like, screw you. But if I met you where you're at and I was just like, Hey, I've been doing these cold showers for a little while. And I noticed these like benefits and everything. Like, what do you think? Like, Oh, I really love hot showers and everything that I'm like, oh, okay, I got that. Like kind of like just having an open conversation about it. And you're sharing perspective at this point. Mm -hmm. Now I'm going from look at my side to 
what's your side? Oh, snap. Well, here's my side. Okay. You, have you, have you ever considered this side? No, I don't really know. It's like, oh, okay. Or like, what are your thoughts on X, Y, and Z? Like you kind of walk them through it. You might actually be able to get the thing that you wanted to share across just by one, getting permission and two, really meeting a person where they're at. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's almost a necessity. Mm -hmm. If, if you want to be able to share your perspective with others in a reliable, consistent fashion, mm -hmm. you need to be able to do it in a way that's not directive and not telling people what to do because mm -hmm. we are going to grab onto what's familiar, the side of the hand that we've been looking at the whole time and like, nah, uh I know the truth. <laughs> no, uh, just like that too. Yeah, and and honestly, the I think there's only a few things that really can lift us out of that. And it's not even like a oh, I now see all objective truths, but it does take that self awareness. It takes that willingness to learn over the desire to learn over the desire to be right, which is a hard thing. I mean, it has to be cultivated. Um, um, I like that. Yeah, if we, if we don't, if we go around barking our ideas at everybody, we're not actually going to impart our truth on anybody else. You know, even if we're someone of power, they on a deep level they're going to remain affixed to whatever they've got you know going on in their world but through questions through dialogue that is where i think real progress is made and one of my one of the people i look up to is uh, benjamin franklin and he he created so much change in the world I mean, most of the, <laughs> a lot of the world that we know, you know, he was fundamental figure in, in creating, you know, the, the years that followed. But the thing was, he, he was known for not, not outright, you know, telling people they were wrong. Um, it was through Socratic method. Um, on a face-by-face -face basis, but it was also through, through humor, through humor and satire. You know, he had so many pen names in the different newspapers. Anytime something political was going on that he didn't like, he would, he would bring a bit of like um, sarcasm and satire to the local paper and start a discussion that then created the the shift in perspective like the illuminating of something in a way that was conversational and that was successful many times over on creating change rather than going and saying hey you're running this place wrong this is bad you know bringing bringing something that was more digestible to uh the public forum mm -hmm. that the type of dialogue that was able to impart the change that he was you know intending or for the most part i had no idea about that 
that is so far outside of my realm of awareness, but that's super cool. He was, he, just, he basically had like a bunch of like alter egos. He was just like, hmm, let me just drop a little bit of some thought. Pro he was a thought leader of his time. He was a, he was a, an, an insightful one, this guy. <clears throat> Bringing it back, you said something that I want to touch on because I did a little bit of research into it, but I didn't go fully into it. And I wanted you to deepen the distinction of the Socratic method. What, what is it? What is its use? Why is it important? So the Socratic method is acknowledging that a truth is not what is like is unlikely to be adopted unless it is our own. Like, yes. We I was reflecting on this uh, just this morning actually how whenever watching a movie I frequently get that dopamine hit whenever I'm like oh I knew that was going to happen right well the, there is a they wrote that script that way so you would get that feeling because that feeling of oh I knew that was going to happen kind of makes that is giving you some of the pride in that script like and at the end of the day so frequently it's i mean i think this is a joke in a lot of shows where someone will be saying something you know giving advice giving advice giving advice and then the other character reaches a point where like oh i just had a brilliant idea and it was the thing that everybody contained them all along right so often we will choose our own stance even if all you know, outside knowledge says, oh, well, there may be a better way. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the importance of the beginner's mindset, not getting attached to, um, you know, the, the routine that you've developed and recognizing, like always kind of checking in and saying, hey, there may be a better way at doing this. So getting back to the Socratic method, Socrates was uh, a teacher you know, he, he was one of the, was he the first? I believe he may have been the Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, and I think he was one of the first players, yeah. Yeah, I think Socrates was the original teacher. He had the first school of philosophy, uh, and it was called the Academy. And whenever you hear school of philosophy, you think like, being intangible well once upon a time there were really schools of philosophy all in um greece and in athens and it's funny like stoics you think oh because they're like statue right no it's because they were teaching on the stoa in in athens but that's a whole nother story anyway so he was the first school of philosophy which many schools of philosophy um came after him as a result but he did all his teaching through appreciative inquiry and that's asking questions that are leading leading questions but that's actually they're not just leading questions sometimes they're expansive some, sometimes they're focusing sometimes they, but using questions as a tool to help somebody discover their own truth because if they discover their own truth they're much more likely to adopt that, integrate it, and put it to use in their life. 
rather than, oh, that information, okay, that's cool. You know, but if we, if it is our own, then in, in the case of Benjamin Franklin, he used it during debates. He used questions rather than pointing out all the things, but he asked questions that would lead his opponent to his conclusion. Mm-hmm. It, it's asking the right questions that then brought the person to the realization, oh, that is the truth in this situation. So Socratic method is important because it can not only empower people to think for themselves, mm-hmm. uh, but it can also bring about a mutual understanding amongst uh, combating opinions. Mm. Yeah, because it seems like it gives people <clears throat> this space. To, you know what it is? It's, it's like a, a, a canvas. I can come to you and give you the canvas and say, this is it. And you'd be like, no. And this goes back to our original question of like permission or the original thing about permission and, and is your hand open or is it closed? In, in using this method, it seems, it's like instead of giving them the canvas, it's almost like asking them questions that can ultimately guide them to discovering that truth for themselves. Because it's, it's like the, that old thing where you hear something a million times, but you hear it the one millionth and first time. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, like I've had that happen with like my parents for a long time where like, for example, my dad, he's one of the most brilliant people I know, but my listening of him became distorted because most of the time I just felt like I was just being preached to, so to speak. And my listening then was cut off. My ability to hear anything he was saying was cut off. And then I started like learning things that come and be like, I learned this thing is like, I've been saying that to you forever. And it became more and more present that it was directly correlated with my willingness to be open, to receive. And in asking questions, instead of inherently implanting and embedding this, this idea and saying, this is it, it's like, what do you think about this? Does this, where, 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 did you, where did you get that idea from? What originally constituted that? What is your, it gives people the, the opportunity to kind of like crack through and either they will be, and this is really cool, it seems like, it gives them the opportunity to one, continue to fortify their already existent idea, or it allows them to take down the walls and going back to assimilating and accommodating, take something new and be like, that is way better than how I've been doing it. Yeah, hot showers are good, but I can do hot and cold showers and cold showers have the added benefit of reducing stress and anxiety and improving blood circulation through the body. And oh yeah, it closes the pores. So I'm less likely to get gunk in my pores. Like it, it, you can start to integrate what you've already done with something new, or you can decide altogether. Yeah, I'm super never going to do cold showers. I've decided, thank you for helping me to reaffirm the fact that I'm never going to do cold showers. And either way, now people get to stand in their personal truth from a more solid position because being able to have that level of like steadfastness to be so and and from a of course i i also believe in being really open-minded like i think naturally as human like as beings especially like conscious beings that it's in our ability to be able to be fluid to go with and to hear things and to maybe hear it differently you might find that everything that everyone's saying is kind of all pointing at the same thing to begin with but that's a much deeper conversation um it's all about finding, and this is what the entire podcast is about. In essence, one of the driving principles of follow the wolf is follow your wolf, 
find your truth, live your truth. And anything that is not that truth, then discard it. And from a very loving, caring place, it may just not be your truth right now. Mm. You, it's, it's like that whole thing. It's not no, it's just not right now. Mm. I might say cold showers, and, but you might six months later hear it from Wim Hof and be like, yeah, and be like, I mean, I was saying that, but I guess, you know, go and listen to Wim Hof. He has, a, he has an even differing perspective than I do, or maybe he offered it in a way that was different than the way that I brought it up. So it's giving people the space using Socratic method to come to their own resolution, but to do it from a steadfast place. Because when we can stand in our truth and live that there's something really empowering about that. Yeah. And I think it's important to point out. So questions, I mean, we're getting into a topic that I look at questions as competing for one of the most powerful singular things in my life. Uh, I think that our questions dictate how we feel, how we show up, the things that we accomplish, you know, everything. But power is not a, a concretely good thing. It's a neutral thing that could be used either way. So we also I encourage everybody to begin asking more questions, right? If we ask more questions, then we can begin either shedding false truths or fortifying the ones that are there. But if we're asking the wrong questions, we're going to be, and whenever I say wrong, I mean disempowering. And whenever I say disempowering, I mean not empowering you to either that life you want to create or that character you want to build those mm. are the important like first steps in my in my mind is start asking questions around those two things and maybe a third which is how do i want to feel throughout the experience but what's the life i want to create who do i want to be and how do i want to feel in this process yeah if we can answer these things then we can start at asking questions that whether the questions we are asking are empowering or disempowering are they leading us down that path like you yeah. said earlier or are they sending us in the opposite direction if they are then we want to stop asking those questions yeah because I, i'm debating whether or not to open up into this but recognizing our own fallacy as humans as emotional beings and recognizing that if we don't make the active choice to be the examiners of our lives like we don't stand a chance we do not stand a chance and increase a semblance of what we want and so self-awareness Self-awareness is the act of asking questions. And I think that's a, one of the most important things that I try to, I try to encourage in others through questions, not telling them, hey, you need to go ask more questions, but asking them the questions that I believe could be empowering for them that get them into that mode. Because if you build that habit, then you start dictating how you feel. You start dictating 
your character traits, your values. And you mm -hmm. start dictating to a large part the life that you're creating because you're you're approaching it in a much more intentional way. You, The things that you do, the habits that you've embodied, all these things have now been set up to lead you in that path. And at that point, matter of persistence and time. I could be wrong in saying this, but it seems like what you were saying had less to do with right or wrong questions, but more about empowering versus disempowering. Because lately, more than ever, and this is just my, my thought, you know, let me know what you think, but I've more and more, I'm trying to focus on how to remove myself from the conversation of morality, of what is right and wrong, because inherently what is right and wrong, I think is also a personal truth for the most part. For the most part, there are some objective right and wrongs if you you know you really want to go there but i think for the most part a lot of times it right or wrong is also personal and it's more about does it empower you and this is where that gets tossed around a lot but ultimately it's simply this does it push you to be to be to do and to have the life that you want to have or does it do the opposite i want to be happy i want to have I want to have a, a beautiful home on the beach with two kids and spend the rest of my life sharing ideas, concepts, stories, practices, expressions that are designed to help people find the truth and the love within themselves and to share with the rest of the world. That's actually kind of like a little bit, I was kind of telling a little bit autobiographical story there a little bit. There was some in truth in that. If this is what I want, does does this question, does this thing that I'm doing empower that or does it disempower that? Which I think is less of right or wrong. It's more of, does this work for me or does this not work for me on a very fundamental level? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's important. Let's point out what the, the opposite of what we're talking about would be. If we're not being intentional with our questions, what are the typical questions that are running through your head on a daily basis? They're always happening. You know, there's always something going on. Our minds are assessing a situation, assessing our environment, assessing our behavior. We're typically our own worst critic because mm. we're saying, oh, why did I do that? You know, why did I say that thing? Whatever that may be. If we, okay, bringing it to the here and now, whenever I made my intention of enjoying myself throughout this, this podcast, yeah. the fundamental reason I made that my intention is because if I didn't, then my focus would be on how do I sound clever? How mm. do I, how do I, yeah. How do I just come off as an intelligent, charming, you know, whatever, uh, fill in the blank person. Yeah. If my focus is on, mm. all of a sudden, once I say something that's that I could observe as like, oh, like, what the hell was I just saying? Then that becomes my focus, right? Whereas in the beginning of this, I essentially asked the question, how can I have, how can I enjoy myself throughout this process? One of the first answers is anytime I start saying something that I'm like, oh, I don't agree with that or whatever it may be, rather than trying to play it off and, you know, follow that doubt, that path, wherever it may go, wow. just halting and saying, okay, like, 
return to enjoying myself, be loose. Because, and, and honestly, that happened earlier. Like that happened earlier. I started um, trailing and then I, and then I came out and I was like, well, let me preface this by saying I'm horrible at hypotheticals because I could already, the, the road became dark ahead. And if I hadn't made that intention to enjoy myself, I may have continued trekking down it. Hmm. Not to come off as not knowing what I, not knowing what I was talking about. But instead, I was like, I'm going to remain loose and step back a little bit here. That's really brilliant. I, I, it seems like, so for me and what you said, that was so great. I love that so much. You, you basically pointed out that in, in essence, like an intention is like, it's like pulling and drawing an arrow, shooting it. And wherever it lands, you're saying, that's where I want to go. And you start walking. And whilst you're walking, there's distractions. There's the possibility that something else pulls your attention. You're like squirrel, 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 squirrel. But you being able to see that as an intentional being not falling out of the perhaps like the grace of God that is, you know, to be fully present to one's current circumstances. What am I feeling in my body? Where are my thoughts heading? Am I fully present with you? Cause there's been times throughout this where like my, th my thoughts trail on it. And I've said, am I being present? Okay. And I'd like come back and I would circle back. Cause there were times like one of the things I wanted to start doing was just being like, Oh, I'm not present. But I realized that if I were to say that every single time I wasn't being present, that that might be distracting in and of itself. So like, I had to have my own tools to like anchor myself. So I come back to my intention, which is presence, but it's as if this intention is created by a higher mind. My coach said something that I thought was really brilliant. He said that the person who put the activities in your calendar, the things that you set and intend to do, that's the person that you want to listen to, mm -hmm. not the person who shows up when it's 2 p.m. when you said it's time to go and work out, but now you don't feel like it. Because that, whether you call it, you know, your inner child or you call that the ego or you call that, you know, I'm, I'm, I just had a really long day at work. There's always going to be a rationalization of, oh, but I don't feel like it. But the thing that set that intention was a higher mind. It knew that this is the thing that we needed to do. Me waking up in the morning. This is a consistent thing. I almost always go to bed feeling empowered as hell. I like, I really am on my rituals. I like, I get real creative and I almost like get sad. It's like time to go to sleep. I know I need to sleep because I get tired. I know I need sleep, but I get sacks. I'm like, oh man, how am I going to wake up in the morning? Like I, I want to intend you know, to be full of energy and like, woo. It's not always like that though. Like even, I don't know if it was this morning. It wasn't this morning, but like the past two mornings, I had one morning in particular when I woke up and I went straight into fight or flight. I, I think I like died in my dream or something. Something happened that was very traumatic. And when I came to it, my heart was just like, ah! just beaten out of my chest. My thoughts were at war with themselves. Like everything was not cool. And I have, I'm very ritualistic. My morning routines are very like this, 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 and this. And the first thing that popped in my head was, I don't want to do any of these right now. Right. The, the, the lower self, so to speak, the, the animal self, the, the ego was not wanting to be in alignment with the person who set the intention that every single day, I get up and I do these things without question because I know that they bring me closer to who I'm creating myself to be, that arrow, that idea, that intention, that goal, all of it. And despite how I felt, I said, okay, even though I have a list of eight things that I say I want to do, I'm just going to do one. Mm -hmm. 
and that was supposed to be meditation. And I set up to do meditation and it wasn't working. I was just like, I was like antsy and like I did good, just couldn't be with my thoughts. And I said, you know what? Like I'm going to try something else. So I laid down and I just took my hands and I hovered them above my body. I've been practicing some like energy somatic healing work. And I just hovered my hands over the areas of my body. And I was like, where is this coming from? And I found that it was coming from my heart. So I went to my heart and I spent some time with it. And I focused on it. And I was just kind of like imagining energy kind of flowing in and out and, and really putting intention to it's okay. We're safe. We're fine. And within like 10 minutes, I just had this like supreme wave of peace just flow right through me. I came back home. I sat up for my meditation. I did my meditation. I did the rest of my rituals. And what started off as this could be a really crappy day because that's the thought that popped up. Oh, no. What about the rest of the day? Mm-hmm. that got set to the side and I had an amazing day. I, mm-hmm. I accomplished everything that I wanted to do and more had some other breakthrough conversations. And it only came because <clears throat> the part of me that had a bigger intention got fulfilled upon versus the, the animal response that wants to go into fight or flight and survival mode in those moments. And I think that uh, I'm not gonna lie. I got a little lost in the train of thought of what the original root point of what this was is, but being able to hold steadfast mm-hmm. to my intention, regardless of what is happening externally or even sometimes internally, that's the thing that continues to move us in the direction of our goals. Yeah. And so the routines that you have in place, right? Yeah. Have come. They've been structured by you asking questions like, how do I best operate? What best serves me? Was that a fair question? Yeah, some version of that, yeah. And the more that we can think about our future, and I, I I think that's one of the issues, like, and here's another one of those dichotomies, like present moment awareness, like enjoy, enjoy the moment. But the other side of that dichotomy is how is today, how is the pleasure of right now going to affect me in the future? So frequently we chase the thing that like, oh yeah, this is great for us. Except after you've eaten that tub of ice cream, the next day, (laughs) speaking from many, many times experience, you know, the next day your gut is in a horrible state you're feeling fatigued and you're craving ice cream now so that is no longer good for you right and i think that's one of the one of the ways that we have to uh, we have to step into future thinking into saying how is today's action creating tomorrow um because it's so frequently that we're going to say well i can start this tomorrow well, I can start this tomorrow. Well, I can, I can start this tomorrow. Hey, I'm going to start that thing tomorrow. And then we never start it. But if we say, hey, if I continue the action that I'm doing instead of the good behavior, the empowering behavior right now, mm-hmm. what does 10 years down the road look like? And that is a sobering thought. Um, and, and this is where it gets a little bit more difficult because so much it's so much easier to, you know, resort to the, Oh, I don't want to go into that higher cognitive place. You know, I just want to do what's easy right now. I want to follow my crock brain and like 
do the the habit that's ingrained already of course if we can just take the time to be like all right what do i feel like in 10 years from now if i continue this pattern frequently our gut our intuition that thing that's saying like oh, i should do that i should do that it's usually founded in some bit of logic and if we share or, or we give our attention to it we'll figure that out we'll uncover it and to like okay i'm going to do this thing i'm gonna make this change in my um in my in my routine and i i do want to button that all up with then the morning of you come to that moment and you're like hmm I really don't want to do any of these things. Well, rather than focusing on your eight things to do on the list, right? Yeah. Was your question something more like, what's the one thing I can do right now? You know, I won't, I can't say that I honestly had the conscious thought where I was just like, what's the one thing? Cause that's, you know, that's such a, the one thing book principle from, from fantastic book, by the way, everyone is listening. If you want to, great book on how to be more productive and get more done in your day and have less stress and everything by being able to like knock stuff out. So his whole thing was like three P's. It was like purpose, productivity, and passion, purpose, passion, productivity. Anyway, how do we fulfill upon those? But I think what it was is I knew how I felt and I knew that that isn't how that isn't the way that I want to feel for the rest of my day. And I now have the conscious, so I have this through enough repetition and it's become habit that I know that these are the things that allow me to move from that state. The very things that I was trying to avoid doing my rituals are the very things that actually help to offset this because naturally I'm a very like heady cerebral person and I'm spending, I had to spend all this extra time, effort, energy, which I love by the way, to get into my body and to be able to trust that inner knowing. So in that moment, when I get up and I have those things running, the, the part of me that's saying no had to be, as you said, sobered up by the part of me that knows inherently that this is how I'm going to create that state that I want to allow, f carry me through the rest of my day down the canal into the glorious sunset that is the rest of the day. So honestly, a question may have been supportive in that moment but i i would say that if this is something that someone's taking on newly it's not going to be as easy because the natural thing in that moment is to go with instinct and instinct in that moment is survival and survival in that moment is i don't want to do anything maybe i'll grab a tub of ice cream or i don't know what you know what one would do right in the beginning of the morning but you don't want to be disciplined mm -hmm. that's not the thing that pops up discipline naturally is not what shows up unless you've disciplined the discipline and I've done that enough times and I know, I know like on a level of being, not just conceptually like, Oh, I get that. That makes sense. I've done it enough times. So as Joe Dispenza talks about, we have three main brains. We have the, I, I, the thinking brain of like, I know it intellectually conceptual. That's like happens a lot in like a, or an, an analytical rationalization thought like the neocortex think it, feel it to really feel it which would be an, an emotional reaction that would happen in our limbic brain and then the knowing the true knowing of it happens in our cerebellum which is the seat of the subconscious this is where all of our habits 
and our ingrained behaviors occur. I know it because I've done it so many times and I know the feeling that happens when I do that thing that I have such a deep knowing in the back of my brain and the cerebellum, my subconscious, that this is what I need to do. It's not a question of if will this serve me, it's I know this will serve me and the only thing that's not gonna have me do it is some old primal response that maybe at some point in my life served me, but no longer does. Isn't that old primal response also activating in the brainstem as well? I'm, I'm probably, I'm not as familiar with that one. You'll have to enlighten me on that one. Well, that is where our habits are boiled down to is in the brainstem, which is why fight or flight comes from that that's the initial mechanism that allowed things to evolve over time like live long enough um to survive because they didn't have like a conscious understanding of oh, okay i need to uh build a fort it was no there's something i can eat there's something i can have sex with there's something <laughs> i need to run from Right. And so it was all very triggered um, behavior. And I don't really know if this is leading anywhere, but just uh, I guess it is worth pointing out. Yeah. Our habits are in our brainstem. And, and that's one of the reasons why whenever we're knocked into fight or flight, it doesn't matter how much we know something is bad for us or how good an alternative is. Right whenever that happens the the first there's uh i want to say like an 80 millisecond delay from our neocortex you know from our um brainstem right and so that's going to be the first thing that dictates our action unless we pause mm. and that's the importance of whenever they say like whenever you get upset take a breath there's a reason Whenever you take a breath, you're allowing your logical brain to catch back up to the show. Otherwise, you're likely going to say something that you regret right there. It's not. Mm. And this, so whenever you had said, like, somebody who's new to questioning, you know, they're not just going to do that in the moment. Well, no one is, unless you build the habit. And so how do you habitualize something? I mean, for myself, I, I write questions on note cards and then I put them up on a pin board and I use that as my bookmark whenever I'm reading and I keep the question of the day in front of me. Hmm. And I ask myself these most empowering questions. What's the most empowering question I can ask myself today? A couple days ago it was, how can I prove undeniable value for these potential partners that um i was speaking with now i'm a partner in that you know and so ask the questions that lead you to the life that you want to the character that you want to be and if we can get in the like uh tony robbins has these problem solving questions the first one and i like anybody this will help you <laughs> The first one is... Is that an objective or is that a personal truth? <laughs> this, this, this will help you. Uh, don't take my word for it. 
Uh, but whenever something bad happens, something bad, you ask yourself, how is this good for me? How can I use this? Or the, the, the radical version of that is, how is this the best thing that has ever happened to me? I only, I only break that question out for like really bad, you know, like breakups or whatever it may be. Um, but this question is focusing on, okay, what's the lesson here? Is there something I can learn? Because as humans, you know, so many people talk about this, uh, this sense of emptiness, right? The sense of emptiness is typically tied to complacency, right? If we're not making progress, progress is like a real indicator of like, or um, precursor to fulfillment, to happiness. So if we can focus our energy rather than, shit, I just got broken up with, life sucks, you know, and then you start focusing on all the bad things that are going to happen. Oh, we're going to, you know, be... It, all the bad things, right? Or if we habitualize this this immediate response of a question, how is this the best thing that ever happened to me? All of a sudden, our attention starts seeking out that answer, right? And this is why so many people, whenever they lose a job or they have a divorce or whatever it may be, yeah, there's the cases of people that, you know, walk around with their head down for the next few months but there's also the cases where people completely change their lives in those moments they they adopt an empowering habit and it's because of finding well what is the good in this situation um what can i learn from this and it is frequently in those hardest times that the greatest lessons really present themselves and um yeah i mean just to I know I'm going on, but just to put it for myself, the, the breakup is a, is a recent scenario for myself that reinvigorated me because it was able to point out I had, I had gotten really good at enjoying whatever I had, you know, enjoying whatever I had, which is something at one point in time I would have tell, told you being fulfilled with what you have is the most important thing you can ever do. But now I've come become to that dichotomy of, well, yes, love who you are, appreciate everything you have, but still dream, still have something to get invigorated about, something to get creative about. And I was able to use something that was no doubt very hard. Like every day for two months, two and a half months, I woke up my immediate flight or fight response, you know, super constriction of my chest, like hyperventilating and, but still, you know, despite that, my focus on how is this the best thing that could ever happen to me or that could ever happen for me. And by habitualizing that question, it changed the trajectory of my life. <clears throat> I had something I wanted to say about that, but I think it was, <laughs> Maggie was just like, I have something to say about that. I want to add to it, but I, I want to start by asking you a question before I chime in. When do you feel that it's appropriate from the time of the experience that elicits that emotional response? 
say, being broken up with, to then ask that question. Well, when does it become empowering for you? You know, when does that question begin to help you rather than take you out of a necessary processing of the emotions? Mm -hmm. And I would say that can happen very quickly. It's not necessarily going to happen because, again, this is, we're talking about different parts of the brain. Sure. The, the feeling of emptiness whenever something gets torn from your life, that's a, a dramatic verbiage, but you know, something is removed from your life that you regularly relied on for pleasure and some type of, you know, purpose, sense of purpose. Whenever that leaves you, that's not your logical brain creating those for the most part like the deep feeling the deep pain that's something that's more that's because we've ingrained a habit so consistently that our you know our our habit was being with this person you know sharing a laugh and the reward was oh releases of oxytocin laughing you know having sex whatever it may be all these things were serving as a consistent reward in our life. If you take anything from somebody, we're going to have that feeling that that pain is going to persist, right? I think that the, the important thing is to recognize is that question of how is this the best thing that's ever happened uh, for me? Yes, we need to balance that with uh, a sense of realism and in, in respecting the moment for what it is respecting okay this is now my new truth this is now my new reality yeah it's not a question to say oh this isn't happening you know the the question is to actually find the good in the moment and once you realize like okay you can come to terms with something and move on from it um it's how long do you want that to me how long do you want to wait and sit in the mind fuck of you know just reminiscing on all the things that you don't have any longer mm. if you choose to sit there more power to you not not really <laughs> less power <laughs> <laughs> less power to you yeah, like so, cold hard facts right here hitting you right across the face yeah, and and so the there's definitely people thinking right now like, oh, somebody dies and you're just supposed to move on. Honor, honor them, respect on yourself, respect like this hurts, you know. That does not mean you cannot focus on how how what is the best outcome from this situation. Why would we intentionally choose the worst you know and and one of those questions that help people through that is well what would that person want for you what would the you know the the deceased spouse or family member would they want you you know doing whatever 
binging, whatever the, the response to that is. And the answer is likely no. <laughs> you know, if you were to ask me, if I were to pass away, how would I want my friends to respond to that? I would want, I would honestly want my friends to feel a sense of Zach enjoyed the ride. Hmm. And I, I don't want people to feel sad at my passing. You know, I want people to feel that I was a contribution and that I was a, uh, a compassionate, you know, fellow in life and that I hopefully modeled, um, you know, some behavior that could enlighten other people's past and, and yeah, just really spread joy. I had a tear well in my eye. That was so beautiful. <laughs> my dad said something. I thought it's great. Like, it's great. Like your, your whole thing is when you go, you want people to celebrate. It's like a celebration. It's, I heard this lyric in an Eminem song a little while back. It said, instead of mourning your death, I'd rather celebrate your life, elevate to new heights, step on to step on the gas and accelerate. I'm going to need two mics. Uh, I thought that when I heard that, to this, I remember it. I've heard that song very few times, but I thought it was so great because I, one of the things that my dad always told me, he said that when I die, there are a couple of things you better ensure happen. One, people need to be laughing. They need to be telling funny ass stories about my life, enjoying having fun, being silly. And I like big bucks. I like big butts and I cannot lie must be playing in the background because his entire intention is if people are grieving and mourning at his funeral, then it, you've, you've completely missed everything that he wanted to be represented. My, my dad's hilarious. And his entire thing is like, don't mourn my death, celebrate my life, like have fun, be silly. And us talking about this really got me to think about like, what is my goal? It's like, yeah, like when I go, my hope is that of nothing else, that people remember me as somebody who did everything that they could to spread more love and positivity to people around them. Like on a core, core level, like there's a natural amount of like grieving and there's a natural amount of, of sadness that comes in. But at a certain point, and I, and I do believe this, and this is a personal truth for myself, but what you focus on expands. I can choose to, yes, the initial wave of emotions that comes up when you lose somebody close to you, that's natural. I had a call back in 20, I think it was 17, 2016, I was in California, and I had gotten a call from, I had two of my closest friends who I grew up with. Uh, they were my oldest, longest childhood friends. I'd known them since I was five. And I got a call from one of them whom I hadn't heard from in years. So it was very odd when I saw his, uh, his number pick up, uh, pop up on my phone. And I remember when I answered, I was like, Hey man, how's it going? He's like, yeah, I'm going well. It's just like, uh, I wanted to call you and reach out. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard, but, uh, I'm not going to mention his name just because I, I don't have really a permission, but so-and-so um, so-and-so is no longer with us. They took their life. And it was the second of my one of two closest friends. And I remember being in the car with a few people and being absolutely speechless. I had no words. 
And I later found out that this person had taken their life and their mom had found them. And obviously the, the family went through a, a difficult grief cycle. Mm-hmm. And I remember it had to have been almost a year later when I accidentally, or maybe not accidentally, but just coincidentally ran into his mom. And she comes up her normal bubbly self. Hey, how's it going? And I knew I had to address the elephant in the room. And I was just like, I'm doing good, but like, how are you doing? Like, how's everything going? And immediately just a flood of emotions came through. Mm-hmm. And from that experience going forward, we had stayed connected and she heard that, you know, we'd, we'd reconnected after some time. We just kind of sat down and talked about life. And I told her that I had that part of like my secret mission that I don't talk about uh, is that I, I want my mission to be a safe space for people who are feeling depressed, feeling anxious, feeling suicidal, to feel safe, to come and be seen, to be heard. Because I, I have such a, a strong a strong connection to those people because one, like I've been through depression. I've, I've been I've severely multiple times throughout my life through, through depression, through anxiety to the point where like, I didn't think I was going to be able to continue on. And the thing that I needed the most was somebody to be there and to hear me. And that was the thing that I didn't have. And when we started talking, communicating, she was talking about this mission that she was working on and creating and skipping a bunch of steps in a, in a couple of years. Now she created this entire movement called fall forward hashtag fall forward. And she took everything that happened with her son and she got a massive RV and went around the entire country, donating her time, spreading love and positivity at schools and with young people and just creating conversations about uh, the importance of like taking love and spreading it to people around us. And that to me is such a perfect example of choice. I wholeheartedly believe that if we have nothing else in this planet, we have choice. And yes, in that moment, like there's time to grieve, but at some point you have to choose and say, okay, I'm done grieving. I'm choosing to celebrate now. I'm choosing, as you pointed out, to say, what is the best possible thing that could come from this? And how can I take these lessons and not let it just become another one of those things where I was just like, yeah, you know, that was a good idea, but I truly embody it at a level of being that. I am going to be love. I am going to be positivity. And there will be times when I get knocked down. But at some point, I have to stand up my own two feet, wipe away the tears, and look and, and see the light once more and say, okay, this is what I have to do. Beautiful story. Thanks. I'm held up right now because part of me wants to say that's a good end. I had that thought in my head too. And I was just like, I don't want to just cut you off from saying anything that you might have to brilliantly add to my head. I was like, that would have been the most amazing ending right there. Just like snip done. All right. Bye everyone. (laughs) But I was like, you know what? Let me hold space. And and we'll Well, see. We can, you can still make that the end. Right. 
well then this is the end this is it yeah and here i will i'll share something else and you could decide whether or not how you want to do it but uh i do want to share something that's personally going on in my life right now yeah and is in the background like fear you know like i'm experiencing fear on a regular basis right now um you're not alone yeah and we had talked about this on my podcast the other day but over this past month or we started giving them this but over this past month uh i've had some rather swollen lymph nodes in the same area and i called i did a telemedicine appointment and let them know and they said well watch it for a month and you know then check in and it has gotten worse you know and to the point where i've stopped running the past few days because i'm in constant pain in that area and it's alarming and something that i could right now just be obsessing and allowing to be like okay i know you want to focus on these things but you know your health like this is a big deal you need to like figure this out granted i am prioritizing my health and i've made a lot of changes in the past couple days because i've decided one my health is vibrancy is my highest value, you know, and vibrancy looks like uh, vitality, health, but it also looks like passion and enthusiasm, like coming, showing up to the world with energy. Yeah. And I am on a mission right now that I'm not going to stray from, but I'm also going to honor myself and say, hey, maybe working around the clock every day is not good for your health. You actually do need to schedule in some time for meditation. You do actually need to schedule in some more time for enjoying life with others, you know, getting more social. Yeah. And I'm making those changes, right? But the the big the big question was, how is this the best thing that's ever for me? I'm going to a doctor's appointment. I'm going to get, you know, exams and whatnot and see what's up. And it may just be fine, right? But regardless, I'm choosing to make this moment, this moment of fear, this moment of unknown and, you know, recognizing our own mortality. Like we, we are, we often do not like to think about that, but man, whenever I do think about it, it, charges me up because it makes me realize it it doesn't make me realize i've already realized all the things that i could change in my life but how often do i do all those things mm-hmm. it gives me the energy to say fuck this Zach. like you're going it, you're going to make the most of this and that does not mean giving in to desires that does not mean taking the easy route that means you know showing up and living with purpose and doing stuff with excellence and giving yourself the time to relax and decompress it's finding it's finding what works for me and living by that and what that tangibly looks like is recognizing 
and this comes back to the moderation versus the abstainer, there's a reason this is on my mind, is because so frequently I'm told, hey, just eat, you know, like, yeah, don't eat the processed stuff, but eat fruit. Well, fruit inevitably leads me to the processed stuff. And you know what I've been doing a lot of this past week or this past month? Eating a lot of fruit. And you know what happens whenever I eat fruit? The pain and the lymph nodes increases. I have to recognize, hey, there's things that are not, that may be other people's truth, they're not my truth. So abstaining from carbs altogether, getting back to a, a intermittent fasting, because I did that for over a year and what had never felt more clear and energized. It's just mm. a, harder, right? It's a little bit harder to set up your schedule that way. But I've decided to use the energy that comes with that fear. And rather than having it as a blanket weighing me down saying, how do I, how do I turn this into change, lasting change right now? And so that my answer to the question is how is this the best thing that's ever happened for me? is regardless of what happens moving forward, I'm using this to honor myself, to recognize, hey, you know these things work for you, apply it. Apply what works, live by it. You know, enjoy yourself, decompress. Do the things that make your life both colorful, satisfying, and don't work yourself to death. So that is an example of using that question to turn something negative into something empowering. Well, I appreciate you being a living example of living your truth because it's really easy to dole out advice and to be the first person to not follow that advice, much like how the you know, the cobbler's son doesn't have shoes, right? The, the carpenter's got unfinished projects at home and we all do it somewhere. And that's where the compassion comes in, right? We're not, we're not perfect. And I don't, of course, I, I believe in the, also in the philosophy of like, we're born perfect as we are. And at the same time, like we're perfectly imperfect, like everything that we do, it's, mm-hmm. it's all part of the journey. It's all a part of mm-hmm. the process of becoming. We're always becoming, we're always arriving. And I thank you for, for sharing that. And before we hop off, is there, we've talked about a lot. We've said a lot. We've shared a lot. Hell, I've had like a, bits of like tears coming up emotions. I've, I've gone through bits of being out of present, in presence, dropping into my body. Just like, it's been, it's been an amazing journey with you. And I think my intention of presence, although not perfect, got very deeply fulfilled upon. And I thank you for that. Is there anything that, one thing that somebody can take and walk away with that they might be able to run with and implement their life to, to really create something new. You are capable of developing any area of your life. Nothing is fixed. And so if there's anything that you are dissatisfied with, begin asking yourself, how can I develop this area? And you have the ability and you have the power 
You just have to give it the focus and the energy. Mm. The focus and the energy. As I mentioned, guys, we've talked about a lot at this point, but if you get nothing else, at the end of the day, it's just taking what you hear. And if it resonates, use it. If it doesn't, don't. Because at the end of the day, this is about taking on and trying on clothes and saying, oh, this, this is a little too big, it's a little too small, but finding what works for you. If you made it this far, thank you so, 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 so much for your time. Thank you for your energy. Zach, thank you for being here. For every ounce of energy that you pumped in this all your time, like thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here. For those of you who are listening, thank you. Uh, and at the end of the day, just in the wise words of Dory, just keep on swimming. Take what you need, discard what you don't. But regardless, thank you for listening and thank you for choosing to follow the wolf within you. Bye now. Ha, 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 ha.